This week on the Sound On Sight Walking Dead podcast, we're talking Still, the 12th episode of season four, written by Angela Kang and directed by Julius Ramsey. And joining us will be one of our fabulous contributors at Sound On Sight, Sean Coletti. We'll be right back after this. We're back with the Sound On Sight Walking Dead podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, TV editor of Sound On Sight, and I'm joined as ever by my fantastic co-host, the editor-in-chief of Sound On Sight, Ricky D. Ricky? Hello, Kate. And the, joining us this week to discuss episode 12 of season four still is Sean Coletti, my co-host of This Is Our Design, the new Hannibal podcast. I'm so excited. Sean. Hello, Kate. Hello, Ricky. You're also one of our contributors over at Sound On Sight uh, TV, and... Uh, and this is uh, your second time on the Sound and Sight Walking Dead podcast. Uh, but in case some, anybody who's listening is does not remember, what is your relationship with The Walking Dead, the show, and the comics, and all of that, Sean? Uh, I've seen all of the show. I've not read enough of the comics to be able to spoil anything at this point. And I haven't read any of the comics. Ricky has read some of them, but we're nearing the, the point of no return, as I recall. But never fear, we'll keep everything spoiler-free, only discuss this episode of the TV show and anything that came before it, and then elements of the TV show that also have happened in the comic already. So nothing from the future. So there not be spoilers. This is a spoiler-free zone. Uh, let's talk about this episode. And, uh, you know, we had, I'm curious, some reaction, Ricky, that you have, particularly because I know you are not the biggest Beth fan, but this was a Daryl and Beth centric episode nobody else you know much like the first episode of this half season uh where it was just michonne and rick and and carl this time we focused in on these two characters sean did it work for you uh, and if so why and if not then why not it absolutely worked for me and i have some interesting statistics about this episode that we can get into later but this is actually one of my favorite episodes of the walking dead ever and it's not just because of how focused it is with just two characters there were like legitimate character beats for these people who we've been hanging around with for so long and i felt like okay with the main cast they've kind of reached this point where they're not really going to get much more character development all of the the new character development will be with the newer characters who get introduced but they really brought out a lot of aspects in daryl and beth that either I didn't remember or they hadn't done up to this point, and I was really impressed with this overall. Ricky, what did you think? Loved it. I'm so <laughs> glad I'm not alone. This is a fantastic episode. Kate, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't I ask for uh, an episode that revolved only around Beth and Daryl last week and or predicted that it would only revolve around these two characters last week and... Didn't I ask for a bottle episode? And I know this wasn't necessarily a bottle episode, but it was pretty damn close. It, um, it's not even a little bit a bottle episode. They're in all sorts of different places. Well, no, but I, I mean in the sense that they move from one place to the next, but it's within 
I don't I don't think it's I think it's within a short distance, but it's also like it's focused around these two characters and it didn't matter if they were moving through a golf club and or sitting in the trunk of a car and or sitting in a house. I mean, it was essentially basically what I wanted. It was two characters getting to know each other, letting us into their their minds, into their past, giving us more insight into how they feel, what they think. I mean, we didn't know anything about Beth prior to this episode. <laughs> like, I think her biggest moments was her babysitting the baby all season long. Uh, in the past, I think one, if not two, of her boyfriends died, who I don't even remember who her boyfriends were. And, uh, oh, yeah, and there was a time where she tried to kill herself and split her wrists. You know what I mean? Um, this episode made me fall in love with this character. And that is why it's such a fantastic episode. You take a character who I disliked, and and within one episode with good writing and good characterization and good acting, all of a sudden I love this character. And last week I also said that they purposely, or it seemed like they purposely paired up the fan favorites with the characters who were less developed or the characters who people liked less. And the perfect example was Daryl and Beth. And I think that they make a great pairing. Like at first it seemed kind of odd because she's the girl that likes to sing around campfires and he's the guy that like that likes to hunt squirrels and I don't know, spit on the ground and like piss in front of women. But it's the perfect pairing. And the opening, the cold opener was fantastic. I loved it. It reminded me of one of my favorite movies from last year, in which there's also a scene in which two characters are trapped in a car while zombies pass by. And in, in, in this case, they took it a step further. Like, instead, they go into the trunk of the car. And I thought it was amazing. Amazing. One of my favorite episodes of The Walking Dead. Oh, well, that's just crazy talk. But, uh, but I do. I gotta, I gotta agree with him. Like, it's right there. You guys are so wrong. But, <laughs> I mean, I liked the episode. But I maybe, you know, maybe for me, part of it is that I already liked Beth. And so it wasn't a particularly revelatory episode for me in that sense. I already was expecting something like this and and knew that I you know I had an affinity for that character. So uh, so so I think that was part of it for me. But I, I just liked this episode um, and and liked beats of it. But I, I, I often felt watching it and uh, it sounds like this was not an issue for either of you to, uh, but I often felt like I could see the strings and see the writing. In this, and while I liked the performance, uh, particularly from Emily Kinney as Beth, I didn't love it, and I didn't, I didn't get lost in the character like I needed to. It felt like a performance, and so, uh, so I liked it. Obviously, this is not a, a character or a performance that is as uh, on and off as, for example, the kids <laughs> on the show, but when she's hugging. Daryl's back it felt very forced I just I also kept waiting uh for her to make inappropriate advances on Daryl I felt like that was the next thing that was going to happen which felt really was felt like it would be contrived which I, I'm glad they didn't go that place to that place with it but I just you know there are these the, there's an, a discomfort with these two characters that I didn't really feel like went away until maybe the last, even them flicking off the burning house felt very forced to me. So I, I'm gonna be the uh, the the Debbie Downer, I guess, and just say I liked it, but I'm not. I mean, not even in the same world of clear. Now that is crazy talk, Kate. 
You're the one that's talking crazy this week. This is a strong episode. You know, this is the first time in the podcast, in all 49 episodes, in which one of us has actually mentioned the actress's name, Emily Kinney. We've never, ever mentioned her name. Never. I swear to God. But, I, you know, we've talked about this in the past. Like, The Walking Dead seems to do better when it's not servicing a lot of characters and a lot of subplots all at once. And that's why I always go back to one of my favorite episodes, Clear, in which in that episode we followed Michonne, Carl, and Rick into the city and they met up with Morgan, or sorry, into the suburbs. And this is what they've been doing all season long, but this is by far the best example of that in this second half of the season. Um, I, I just think it does a much better job when stripping itself down as much as possible. And that's not to say I want to see this kind of episode each and every single week, but man, I mean, this is the kind of episode we need. We need episodes like this to get to, to get to know these characters because, you know, I mean, I'm all for the the zombie kills and the blood and the gore. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I watched the show and it's a lot of fun, but you can do both. I, I don't have anything to complain about. And I love the cold opening. I thought it was one of the best cold openings of the season so far. I'm right there with you on that one, actually. I, I did really love the... I, I, I had a brief moment of why aren't they just smelling them? But I guess they're gross enough that they could have, have you know, have enough scent covering up their humanness that they're hiding in the car. At least I'll give it to them because, like you said, it was a really effective cold open, very well shot and staged and lit. And, uh, yeah, I, I will absolutely agree that that was a fantastic cold open. I think you bring up a lot of valid points, Kate, and I, I completely understand them. Uh, yeah, Emily Kinney was good in this, but it wasn't like a transcendent individual performance by any means. I think the reason that I was more impressed by it than I thought I would have been was because, and I don't mean to demean any other actors on this, but if you compare Chandler Riggs' performance in the the mid-season premiere of this versus Emily Kinney's in this, I think that there's a noticeable difference there in how each of those actors is able to make you believe the material that they're saying. And as far as, like, seeing the strings, that is also a really good point, and I think that that's going to depend from viewer to viewer, because there's a lot of people, for instance, who complain about that with regards to Mad Men. You know, it's very obvious in its imagery and metaphors, and that kind of grates on some people. And I, I don't know, The Walking Dead never really goes that direction where it's force-feeding you the images too much, I think. I think it's been... Um, pretty consistent in in how it displays those, and this didn't feel too out of place. The, the strings are there, but it didn't really annoy me. It kind of like led me along in a, at a really comfortable pace. I think the most striking aspect of the episode, or specifically about the character of Beth, is that she actually admits that she knows she's not going to survive for very long. Like, she admits that she will make it. And she even calls out Daryl as the last man standing. It's kind of very self-aware. It's kind of like, we are aware that he is the most popular character, and we might not ever kill him. <laughs> you know what I mean? He might be the one character who will survive. But... I like that about her. I like the fact that she's willing to accept reality. And in this episode, we also get to understand that, or not understand, but we are reminded that Daryl was actually in just as bad of a place prior to the zombie apocalypse. I mean, his life was pretty much a living hell to the point where in this episode, he says that he could have, have easily been killed over a, a talking dog cartoon. Like he didn't exactly have the best life, right? And he's completely opposite in, in that sense to Beth, who, you know, 
I, I assume had a good life. I mean, she loved her family. She was close to her family. She lived in a nice home. You know, she was young. She had a whole future to look forward to. Whereas Daryl is kind of like the complete opposite. He's always been the hero. He's always been the cool headed guy, the guy that's always in control of his emotions. He's the guy that everybody loves. And in this episode, he starts losing hope and losing motivation to move on. And it's a different side of Daryl that we haven't seen. And I got to give credit to, again, the actors, because they really pulled it off. I thought they really delivered a great performance. You know, two weeks ago, when we talked about the episode that revolved around Michonne, Rick, and Carl, I liked that episode a lot. But my two major problems with that episode was I didn't think that Carl, the actor, Chandler Riggs, was able to deliver the performance needed for two specific scenes. But in this episode, everything just worked. And I understand your concerns, but I just never really felt like anything was forced. I thought it was all very natural, especially the final shot when the house is burning and and and, and they do flip the bird. I thought that's exactly what Daryl would do, and that's exactly what she would do while hanging around with Daryl. I mean, the whole episode revolves around her trying to find liquor. She wants to have her first drink. Like, you know, she, it's no different than the teenager wanting to go out on a Friday night for the first time with a guy like Daryl, who she probably might have a crush on and wanting to have a first drink, wanting to go to a bar. And I don't know. I really liked it. It, it felt like this episode could have been taken away from a zombie apocalypse and put into like, I don't know, just a normal drama. It could have just been about her wanting to go out with a guy like Daryl. You know, I loved it. <laughs> I got to say that, yeah, regardless of any problems that anybody had with this episode, and I understand those, everybody just has to agree that this has the best reason for existence. The impetus here is Beth wanting alcohol, and that's been the best one for any Walking Dead episode. Exactly. Well, and also, I mean, can we talk a little bit about the choice of alcohol? Because I love that there's only peach schnapps left, and that he's like, okay, this is... When he decides to, you know, actually do something, and it felt very much like Beth wanted him to to stop her from drinking it, uh, which is why she just starts crying rather than just then drinking it. Uh, but um, when he's like, okay, that's bullshit. Your first drink is not going to be peach schnapps in the apocalypse. <laughs> Come on. I, that, that was great. And uh, uh, the, you know, with whatever issues I have in this episode, and again, for those listeners who get frustrated when we're overly negative, any of us are overly negative, I will say. The things that made me like and not love this episode, uh, you know, despite those moments of performance where I did, you know, would have liked a little more nuance, shall we say, uh, the the scene that really, really worked for me was the two of them sitting, uh, the the sort of, I guess, the transition when they decide they're going to burn the house down. So that, that whole conversation, like we already said, I think it was Ricky, too, that... that um, that she knows she's not going to survive hugely long in this world and everything. That conversation really worked for me. And particularly I wanted to highlight the cinematography because I like that in that, that, you know, the light from the moon, I'm guessing the moon, uh, she basically looked like a zombie already. She was so pale and, uh, and, and all of this color, you know, drained out, out of her complexion and everything. I, you know, I, I really appreciated not just the performance from the actors in that scene, not just the, the dialogue given to them by writer Angela Kang, and not just the decision to keep the, the camera very still and static, but particularly I enjoyed the cinematography this week. Also, the music choice, the music yeah. selection was fantastic. They played a great song from the Mountain Goats, and... The composer, once again, does a fantastic job. Bear McCreary. This is one of the best. Like, it totally stood out. 
I loved, I loved the music. And, um, you know, you know I just want to say one quick thing before Sean cuts in. I just hope that this isn't one of those episodes where we get to know a character and, and then next week she dies. You know what I mean? Like they cannot kill Beth anytime soon now. Like, like, you know, like, for example, like you remember back in season three, it's like, Oh, T dog's talking. So he's going to die next week. <laughs> That's exactly what happens. I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. And you know, this, this series is very, <laughs> they don't really care about the audience in that regard. So pretty much Daryl is the only safe character I would say. Well, and actually, for me, watching this, that conversation of you're going to be the last one alive, I, was I the only one watching it going, really? Because I feel like he's going to die, like, saving somebody like you. And that's how he, in this world, that's how he would actually die. Because he doesn't just leave, like, you know, that feels like that character probably would, like Merle would, for example. He goes back to save somebody like Beth or to, to get her moving, you know. And uh, so, so I, I, I actually kind of felt like I, I, as a, if I didn't know that he was the most popular character and that AMC is not going to want them to kill uh, Norman Reedus' character off, uh, I, I would feel like this was a conversation that was setting up the fact that Daryl was going to sacrifice himself to save somebody like Beth soon. It could have gone either way. Um, you know, it could have been that she would die based on the fact that you have poor writers and this is their cue to die. Uh, has, once again, example, T-Dog and or what you just said. But, you know, Norman Reedus is money. He's money for AMC. He's money for the show. He's the most popular character. He's the most popular actor. They're not going to get rid of him. Yeah. Um, that's guaranteed. Um, this episode is directed by Julius Ramsey, who I believe that's how you pronounce his name. He's only directed one episode prior, but he's usually the editor of Walking Dead. I think he's edited like 18, maybe 19 episodes, uh, which is almost half of the episodes they've ever produced. And I thought this episode was amazing in, in, in the sense in the way it was edited. Like, I don't think he edited the episode but I love the editing. Again, going back to the cold open especially, I love the editing in this episode. So I kind of want to see this guy direct more episodes. I thought he really did a good job in in building the tension and suspense, especially in the opening scenes. And um, and the cinematography, I, I don't know who shot this specific episode, but yeah, you're right, Kate. It looked beautiful. Beautiful. When they're uh, deciding, yeah, t take that fire at the end, uh, I may not have really felt there let's flick off the burning house thing but i will say that the burning house looked very pretty <laughs> even if it did go up rather quickly mm -hmm. i guess there was an added layer of a metaphor there there was a the line of dialogue that had something to do with killing off the past it's specific to something dead or something being killed and then the walkers obviously are attracted to that and so that was like a, another nice layer to that that the ted were um walking towards that thing as somebody had said that were killing off the past, so that was nice. But yeah, it, I could see where it would be kind of cheesy. But I think that the episode maybe earned it in the build-up. It was weird because the opening, the, the cold open here, like we've already said, was really well done. It was tense, and then after the the main title, it felt really light, and not a lot was happening. And then Beth just decided, screw this, I want a drink, I'm out. And so that kind of gave it a really fun tone for the first maybe 10 or 15 minutes for me. And then it got progressively more serious. And then when they finally did get the drinks, it got even more serious. They were playing the Never Have I Ever, and that did not go well for either of them. Because when Daryl drinks, 
he goes a little overboard. And then, I don't know, the, the buildup there, I think, really worked for me, which is why I probably excused that cheesiness at the end more than I would have otherwise. Never Have I Ever was pretty fun as far as I was concerned. And, um, yeah, I mean, yes, it was... Uh... The it was just I guess for me I still just it was insty. Now I'm drunk and being an asshole and I was normal two seconds ago. I don't know. I didn't buy that progression. No, I, he wasn't. He, he was an asshole throughout the whole entire episode. But he was not. Let's go. I, I was. I. It didn't feel natural to me. There wasn't an escalation of agitation. It was just, I'm doing this drinking game with you, and now I'm peeing in the corner and berating you. No, I, I mean... disagree. I agree with Sean. I think it escalated. I thought there was a nice pacing. I thought he was uh, maybe not a straight-up asshole throughout the whole entire episode, but he was distant from Beth. Like he He was ignoring her. He wasn't responding to her. And then what really triggered his emotions was the questions she was asking because he's always felt judged his whole entire life. And he's felt judged since the very first time we met him on the walking dead. And so when she starts asking specific questions, that's when he became defensive. And so to me, it worked perfectly. Okay. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. If, if you've had the image that Daryl has had all series and you kind of know what other people think about you, that question of, have you ever been in prison could be a, a real big trigger and okay, maybe yeah go ahead that that shouldn't be a trigger based on what they know of him and the persona he puts out there that shouldn't be a trigger he shouldn't be surprised that people think he may have spent some time in jail i absolutely agree with that but i think that that says something about his character that he's a bit hypocritical in that regard where he puts on a persona but then he may be offended when people take that too literally. Okay, yeah. I'll give that to you. And that rings true. That rings natural. Would the episode have worked better if they had remained in the trunk of the car for the whole entire episode, Kate? <laughs> 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 because, okay, I got to bring up this movie once again. This movie that I saw last year, um, there is, I think, a 15-minute long sequence, if not longer, where the two characters are trapped in a car. And it's amazing. <laughs> it's like over 15 <laughs> minutes long. Well, that would yeah. be your bottle episode. That would be my bottle episode, yes. And if they already had the moon, if they found the moonshine in the car, then it could have worked for me. And that's what happens in this movie. They find moonshine, <laughs> or was it beer? Well, they were drinking in the car, so they spent the night drinking while the zombies were like hovering over the car, and they just got drunk and plastered. Well, as long as you don't get eaten, that'll work. <laughs> Ricky, earlier you said that this was an episode that we needed. And I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, although it was certainly one that I wanted. To me, more than anything else, it felt like an episode that The Walking Dead couldn't afford to do at this point because there's, what, five or six different storylines going on here, and there's only four more episodes to wrap up this season. And I know we're probably not going to get all of them coalescing at the end, but it felt like this was one that was unintentionally designed to really piss off some of the fans who want to see some of the action-heavy stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think we needed it, like the podcast, like Kate and I. <laughs> like, we, we really needed a reversal here because I haven't been completely negative, but she's been the most positive all season long, and now it's reversed. And 
Uh, but yeah, I totally agree. It's totally going to piss off a lot of people. But you know what? They'll be happy next week. They'll forget about it. Well, the other thing is that you know, I think the sh- I would actually agree that the show needed it because when you only have three interesting characters and then you know a bunch of cannon fodder, basically, <laughs> and just kind of waiting to see who you think can die because the fans don't care about them. And Beth was one of those characters for a lot of people. And the, you know, that it was one of those characters that some were surprised to see survive the, the mid season finale. I, you need to build them up. And the only way you do that is if, if you spend time with them. And I think the, the way this season, this half season, I should say, seems to be constructed. I wasn't surprised to spend an entire episode with the two of them. And uh, I'm more and more thinking that we'll get to that. Maybe we will get to the, the season finale and we'll keep all of the characters kind of apart until that you know finale episode and then we'll do something a little different and they'll actually kind of get back together by the finale and we'll actually know all of them and care about all of them and they will have forged these new stronger bonds that's exactly what i said last week i think we're gonna yeah, yeah maybe not the last episode maybe the second to last episode but they're not going to regroup until at least the second to last episode if not the final i totally agree but don't you think the structure of the season is so bizarre? Yes. <laughs> like, it's so weird. Like, I'm just trying to imagine them in the writer's room. <laughs> like, it's just, it's so weird. I've never seen a show or a season of a show structured quite like this. It's weird because this is the most popular show on cable. And most of these characters, not all of them, but most of them have been around for multiple seasons. And... Yeah, absolutely. Fans keep coming back to see zombies on the screen, but there's a comfort in hanging out with all of the characters that they know. So you're right. The the weird structure here is that we're only getting a handful each time. And in this case, it's only two characters. And in the, the mid-season premiere, it was only three. So I'd be interested to talk with people who are kind of just casual fans of television and The Walking Dead is like one of their only two shows that they watch just to see what their reaction to that is. But, you know, last week we were talking about how they separated the characters and, you know, they put the fan favorites with the characters that were least like a bow and or not developed. Right. So, again, going back to Daryl and Beth, Daryl and Beth makes sense because Daryl seems to work well when he's surrounded by women like his character really shines. And that's when he has some of his big moments, like the highlights. Right. Tyrese makes sense paired up with the two little girls because. You know, he was going crazy back at the first half of the season trying to figure out who burnt the bodies, who's feeding the zombies rats. I mean, I think he had a line where he's like, we had like a psychopath running around. He was just going crazy. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm not going to give you that one, but I will give you that it makes sense to pair him up with Carol. And Carol, yeah. Well, and I was going to say Carol, too. But 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 I mean, that is what was driving Tyrese crazy back in season the first half of the season. It's like. Uh, who killed Sasha? And is it Sasha? No, that's Sasha's his sister uh, who killed Karen. 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 Right. Ooh, good Karen. memory. Yeah, and then uh, who was feeding the ra- the rats and who's burning bodies and whatnot? So it made sense for him to pair it up with the, the the two girls and then to have Carol come back. Glenn and um, Tara. It's kind of odd, but I guess. You know, they do introduce us to Abraham and his crew, so they're not so boring as a couple because they're no longer a couple. Like, uh, And then uh, Maggie. Who is Maggie paired up with again? She's Sasha. paired up with Sasha and, uh, and the Bob. Bob. Bob, yeah. Yeah, they're okay. 
I'm, I'm looking for more, forward to more time with them next week, actually. I enjoy Sasha, and uh, we've only got a little bit of time with Bob. So, yeah, I, you can have Beth go on a booze run, and uh, and I can't you know, help but think about what is Bob doing right now because uh, I feel like he would kind of like to probably be on that one. Um, but... But no, I the like we talked about last week, the the pairings for the most part make sense. I don't think anybody is a natural fit with the kids necessarily, but um, or the, the 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 two girls. But you know, Tyrese needs to be with someone, and uh, yeah, I think the the trio of of Maggie and Sasha and Bob are the ones that I'm most curious about at this point, probably just because we've gotten the least amount of time with them. Sean, what about you? Yeah, I would agree with that. The pairing that's most interesting to me is is Glenn and Tara. If that had just been those two, it would be even more interesting. But now that Abraham's there, it complicates things. I'm, I'm thinking just in terms of keeping Glenn and Maggie apart for so long, I figured that the writers might have opened up the door for a another potential romantic partner. And obviously, Tara is the only female character who will not be attracted to Glenn. So... I felt like that was not a missed opportunity, but it was one that I had expected a show like this to go with. Well, and for me, that was actually refreshing because then we don't have to have that, you know, that overplayed sort of, I wonder if there's going to be a love triangle. You know, by removing that from the equation, we can focus on other things. And uh, I appreciate that, I guess. Maybe I've just seen too many, you know, strained love triangles recently, but I was actually... It's the intelligent decision. I just figured it wasn't the one that The Walking Dead was going to make. <laughs> Touche. I, I want to throw some statistics on you. Is that all right? Go yeah. for it. Okay. I was on IMDb before we started recording, and I was just looking at um, individual scores. So users can rate individual episodes of a TV series along with the, the series itself. And as of right now, or as of 10 minutes before recording, the average score of individual episodes this season was 8.3, and season four has had both the highest-rated episode of the series to date and the lowest-rated episode of the series to date. And the highest was the the mid-season finale, Too Far Gone, at 9.7, and the lowest was this episode at 7.3. And um, It's also because IMDb. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, th- these scores are obviously arbitrary probably more arbitrary than individual grades that you see on reviews but i found that interesting that yeah most people did not like this episode what what i find interesting is i i think it's interesting how critics are just loving season four so much i mean clearly scott and gimple is doing a good job because even though we can complain about certain decisions that they make and bringing back the governor and whatnot i think most critics agree that it is the strongest season it's interesting. So you're full on. Uh, are, are you are you agreeing with that? Because I know earlier you were not necessarily as positive on season four. I don't want to make that claim until the season's over. I don't think it's the most enjoyable season. Like I actually enjoyed watching season three and two far more than season four. And again, we talked about this in the past. It could be because I liked arguing about characters like Laurie and Andrea. So even though we had characters that I wasn't necessarily gun ho on, like I didn't really like the characters or they would do things that frustrated me. Uh, I was just, I found it really fun arguing about Andrea and Laurie and T-Dog and whatnot. Um, I don't think the show is as entertaining as it was in the past, but I think it's doing a lot of things better in terms of writing and characterization. So, but I don't want to make 
my decision till it's over. The problem with the, with season four is they reintroduced the governor. And I know he's dead now, but that was their biggest mistake. And that might be the reason why I won't rank it higher than season three or two. So wait, the fact that they brought back the governor is worse than the, the way that they first introduced and handled the governor? Yeah, well, why bring back a character that was already poorly handled? Like, that was just... It was stupid. It was like... Yes. Insult to injury. But they also, you know, I, I, as much as I was not a fan of those episodes, I can't rate them lower than the episodes that introduced and completely bungled his character for half an entire season. Yeah, but as opposed to just for a handful. The governor at least had highlights back in season three. Like, there's several moments where, even though it was the governor, he found himself in specific scenes that, that were kick ass. In season four, he just reappears, annoys the shit out of everybody, doesn't do anything interesting, and at one point they try to reinvent this character, which is completely pointless. No, he was, even though he was a mess in season three, at least he was far more entertaining to watch. Oh, that's an agree to disagree moment for me. Sean, what about you? The governor. Man, this is, this is getting really difficult. Um, okay, so the first episode that we got of him this season, uh, was it Live Bait? Dead Weight? Yes. Whichever one where they reinvent the, the character. Like, in the pantheon of the Walking Dead episodes, that is probably the worst episode. But if <laughs> if you look at it individually, that is one of my favorite episodes individually. If I can just ignore everything that happened about the governor before and then the next few episodes that happened immediately after, I really like that. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. The, the governor was handled so poorly in the second half of season three. Um... I hesitate to say what season of The Walking Dead has been my favorite, but I would say that the best stretch of episodes for me was the first half of season three because it felt really action-packed. They had introduced the governor, and they hadn't entirely screwed him up yet, so there was still a little bit of mystique there, uh, and then that kind of all fell apart in the second half of that season. Yeah, but that first half of season three is far more entertaining than season four so far, I think. Again, I'd have to hesitate just because we haven't seen the rest of this yet, but yeah. but maybe. Well, let's talk a little bit more about this episode in particular. Uh, I guess any final thoughts that you guys have? I would have really appreciated a full-on fashion montage, but uh, we got, I think, the closest that we're going to get <laughs> in uh, The Walking Dead, which was one new outfit. Uh, are there any other elements of this episode that you guys appreciated? That was such a good bit where... Daryl is beating the walker with the, the golf club and just gets it all over Beth's new outfit. Oh, such a dick move. How it's unfortunate. Like, it's like he aimed to just splatter her nice white shirt. Yeah. Um, and even just her shirt, her yellow shirt, uh, goes from fresh gore, you know, zombie bits on it to uh, sort of aged look, a little aged looking, and like, like it's been washed in the course of the episode. So... Uh, she, she is still at the, you know, maybe it wasn't cleared anymore, but she's still at the golf club or wherever they had, you know, what part of the, the clubhouse had the clothes and her shirt gets all messed up. Does she go get another one? No, apparently she wash it, finds a sink and washes her shirt and hangs it to dry and then puts it back on. So the, the handling of clothes in this show is still very bizarre to me. I was also thinking as as she's walking around with, you know, in like a tank top sort of shirt earlier, wouldn't you want 
to have like a leather jacket or just something to protect your arms from scratches and you know the 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 the, the cautious or the the more uh, you know the the burns and scrapes of a zombie apocalypse kind of world yeah Glenn's the only one who has that covered with his full body armor <laughs> <laughs> just going back to a couple of the other things that I think were really nice touches to this episode we already mentioned uh, the story that Daryl gives about Merle and the tweaker. And that was a nice reference to his brother. Also things that we had forgotten, or at least that I had forgotten Beth talking about her brother, um, Sophia coming out of the barn. She mentions that happened, you know, just before her mom came out as well. And so that kind of situates her character in a, in a really horrible history of events. And I also really appreciate that they, the characters, not just in this episode, but in the past few episodes, speak in a way that they honestly think that the other characters are dead. I mean, we have the dramatic irony there, so we know that that's not true, but it's interesting just to kind of see how they act now under that impression. Oh, you mean, you mean that uh, they, they think that Rick is dead and Michonne's dead? And yeah. Beth is saying that she misses Maggie and she, he speaks as if she's gone, and she's talking to Daryl as if they're the last two. He's going to be the last man standing. She says, you're going to miss me when I'm gone, Daryl Dixon. And it, I think that that's really interesting just because um, some of the characters like Glenn still possess that hope because obviously there's that love there, and he doesn't want to believe that Maggie is dead. But some of the other characters are acclimating to that much more quickly. Yeah, but that we talked about this last week. That's why it makes sense that Glenn would go back to the prison. It makes sense that Glenn would not, you know, follow Abraham because he's holding on to the hope. But at the same time, you know, it doesn't make sense that he goes to the prison and then he what collapses in the in the prison cell and wakes up like twelve hours later and everybody's gone. Like nobody else you know, happens to think, oh, maybe we should go back to the prison. Maybe someone's still alive. Like, maybe we should put up signs somewhere. That whole thing is weird. Like, why would they just assume that everybody's dead? It doesn't make any sense. Well, the other thing to keep in mind with Glenn is that he was still or is still just getting over the horrible flu that, you know, nearly killed so many of them. Uh, So he just, his constitution is weaker than a lot of the other people right now. So that would explain, you know, his collapsing. Right, but if Carol is watching the prison from a distance... Yeah, I that's mean, a whole other problem. That yeah, doesn't I mean, really make any like, sense. Oh, yeah, you know, I witnessed the whole situation, but you know what? Nobody's dead because Rick ran away this way and Tyrese went east and you went west. And, I mean, where exactly was she? Was she, like, at the top of a tree? <laughs> Let's just agree not not to think about that. That's an Armin Tamsarian situation where we're just not supposed to be thinking about you know, how it doesn't make any sense, at least until they address it. If if they're going to bring up, you know, the, the if they're going to have her talk with Tyrese about, you know, what she did and why she wasn't around. But um, going back to, Sean, what you were saying, I do uh, appreciate the trajectory over the course of the episode where Beth is still trying to, you know, convince herself that Maggie might be alive. I like the that you see that through line with Maggie and with Beth and with Glenn, you know, you know, being of that family, you know, Glenn getting that from Maggie and also having that, that, that um, likelihood of, of 
going more towards a hopeful place before he met her and then seeing the, the familiar familial connection with Maggie and Beth where they both immediately go, you know, we don't know, they could be okay. And, and then tying that in with, with Dixon having, uh, Daryl having him say, well, even if they're not dead, we will probably never see them again, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and kind of getting her to a place of acceptance in that manner. That was a, good, a nice arc for me over the course of the episode. And therefore, because it's a TV show, we know they're going to run into each other again. And that should make that moment particularly uh, moving, I would assume. Absolutely. I think that they brought back Carol too quickly, so I'm hoping that that moment gets put off longer. I know that you've talked about the possibility of all of the storylines meeting up at the end of this season, but I'm really hoping at least one of them, if not two, um, two of the pairs of the groups are still apart from the main group next season. I think. Oh, be- yeah, I don't I, I, Well, maybe, but I really I would be very surprised. Ricky, what about you? Yeah, I doubt it. I think it would be a great reoccurring gag if Carol just disappeared and reappeared whenever it was convenient. <laughs> that would be amazing. But she could be she could be head uh, head Carol. You never know if she's really there. Yeah. The interesting part is that they're on their way to this sanctuary place, and the only other group that we've seen go in that direction is Rick, Carl, and Michonne. And so not only did they do the right thing by pairing Tyrese with Carol, but the other character who will be really upset to see Carol um, is Rick. So the fact that those two are moving in the same direction is really interesting. Well, and also that the baby is moving towards Rick. I don't think he'll be upset when he sees Carol. Yeah, I think he'll be glad. I think he'll be relieved. Um, and, And that's, you know... Obvious. She's also going to come bearing his his uh, baby daughter, little ass kicker, little ass kicker. So that helps too. Mm-hmm. Still want to see my dog. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, uh, any other final thoughts on this episode, Sean? Um, no, just to reiterate, I felt like that this was a really bold episode. When you look at the the stuff in between the lines, yeah, it probably doesn't stand up under close scrutiny, and some of the the images are probably a little obvious, but I felt like this was such an interesting departure at this point in the season for me. I wasn't expecting something like this. I know that uh, one or both of you had said that you predicted it, and I wasn't. Um, So I was really pleasantly surprised, and I felt like this really brought me up to speed with two characters who I figured had just been left behind in terms of their development. Rick, how about you? Yeah, I think what I said last week is I was pretty sure we were going to get an episode that would follow around specifically one group and only one group, and that would continue for maybe one more episode. Like, I think next week we're going to get an episode with two groups. Like, we might get Sasha, Bob, and uh, Maggie, and we might get a little bit more of, um, I don't know, like, Rick, Carl, and I guess Michonne. Like, who knows? But I don't think they're going to do, like, an episode like like they did, like, a few weeks back where they follow around, like, four groups. Um, But I, I really, 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 really enjoyed this episode. What can I say? It's a very simple episode, but I thought it worked extremely well. And sometimes simple is, is good. So I, I, I'm actually really excited for next week's episode. Absolutely. And uh, you're not going to, you're never going to hear me arguing against character development. So, you know, I think this is as close to your request for bottle episode as we're going to get for at least a while, Rick. So, so, you know, I'll, I'll I'll take it. My next request is Noah's Ark. Like I want them to arrive somewhere and there's like there's like zoo animals and 
I don't know, some crazy guy who, who thinks he's like God or something. Oh, wait, oh, no. it's kind we of had like the that. governor. We had that already, yeah. <laughs> I would have pegged just on a, a not very interesting. I would have pegged Daryl to be more of a Jim Beam guy. I didn't think that he would go down the moonshine route. Yeah, it's true. I'm, I'm not, uh, I would have expected uh, a whiskey for for him, but you know, I, I, I don't know. I think Moonshine works, and yeah. I, I like that they cared to to delve into his backstory more. We've gotten that with Michonne. We've now gotten that with with Beth and and Daryl. So now there's only you know the number of characters that we that really that remain a mystery to us is is dwindling away, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I think we would all all agree. But but on that note. Let's uh, we'll we'll uh, conclude our discussion of this episode next week. We'll be back to discuss uh, Alone, episode thirteen, written by Curtis Gwynn and directed by Ernest Dickerson. But until then, Sean, where can our listeners find you and your work online? Uh, the best place would be to go to thereisnothingon.com. Uh, I write weekly reviews for Sound on Sight right now for Banshee Elementary and Black Sales, and my Twitter handle is at Sean Coletti. And, of course, p- listeners can uh, check out Sound on Sight to hear the two of us talk Hannibal each week. That should be so much fun. Uh, the This is our design podcast. You can also find that in the Televerse feed. The Televerse is the Sound on Sight TV podcast that I co-host with Simon Howell. comes out every Tuesday and talks about the rest of TV that uh, we don't have these individual podcasts for. We also, of course, have a podcast uh, for True Detective, Ricky, that you take care of. Yeah, we got one more episode left to record. I'm pretty excited. And, of course, there's the Sorted Cinema movie podcast. And, yeah, lots of podcasts. You can find me on Twitter at Sound on Sight. And you can find me on Twitter at The Televerse. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back next week to talk alone.
they will shake their heads and wag their bony fingers in all the wrong directions and by daybreak we'll be gone But there's no 